You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this month of episodes is brought to us by a company that I am so very excited about, BetterHelp, which is the world's largest counseling service done 100% online. It's no secret that I am a huge fan of therapy. If you've been listening to this podcast for very long, you've heard me talk often about how therapy has completely changed my life. But I know that getting therapy can sometimes be difficult for people for a number of reasons. Maybe you have a super busy job and you can't sneak away for appointments during the workday. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you don't have someone to watch your children while you're in appointments. Or maybe finances are a struggle and you simply can't afford to see a traditional therapist. BetterHelp makes therapy more accessible to everyone by offering their services online and at an affordable price. So all of the concerns I just listed off are eliminated, especially during this time of social distancing when most of us can't go into a counseling office and see a traditional therapist, yet we're feeling overwhelmed and anxious and in need of emotional support. This online counseling is such an incredible solution. To get started, go to betterhelp.com slash three and 30, and you'll fill out a brief questionnaire about your history and your specific needs for emotional and mental support. So then you can be matched with the right counselor. BetterHelp works with over 3,000 licensed professional counselors across the country with a wide variety of expertise. So there's going to be someone who is a great match for you. You can start communicating with your counselor within 24 hours of submitting your questionnaire and schedule a secure video call or phone session. Plus, you have the option to text or chat with your therapist. BetterHelp is truly an affordable option for therapy, and they've been so generous to make that even more affordable by offering 3 and 30 listeners 10% off your first month with the discount code 3 and 30 So if you've sometimes wondered if maybe you would benefit from counseling, why not give it a try? This is a super convenient, affordable, and confidential option. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com slash 3andthirty for 10% off your first month. And of course, I will put that in the show notes. And just because I feel so strongly about how truly life-changing therapy can be, I pulled an episode from the archives today that I think is the most important episode I've ever aired on 3 and 30, which is a bold claim, but I really do feel that way. On top of everything hard that's going on in the world right now with COVID-19, the last thing that we need is to listen to our own negative self-talk and harsh judgment all day long as we try to navigate this new normal. I hope the tools I present in this episode will help you to recognize and shut down that mean inner voice when it speaks to you during these strange weeks of quarantine. We really are doing the best that we can. This is episode 124, How to Stop Judging Yourself. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. She came to me one night when I was out for a chilly evening run under the stars and street lamps of my college town. She pulled up beside me in running shorts, falling right into stride with me, as if she knew me, as if she'd been waiting for me. You could run faster than this, you know, she said matter-of-factly. Huh? I asked, vaguely confused about who she was, but so taken by her nonchalance that I almost felt like we'd planned the meeting. She repeated herself. You could run faster than this. 
I didn't respond, but I didn't have to. She hadn't meant it as a question. And I hear your mother is dying, she continued. Again, it was a statement of fact. And as we plodded along in side-by-side silence, breathing heavily, taking in the night air, I didn't say anything more. It's okay. I'll be here for you, she said simply. I can make it better. These runs, which had started just a few months earlier when I'd left home for my freshman year of college, had never been about running fast or burning calories or counting mileage. They'd been a time of solitude and peace, a time to think and to try to make sense of my vastly changing life. I wasn't sure I wanted company. But I didn't tell her to leave, and as we reached my dorm hall and I watched her jogging off into the night, her long blonde hair swinging with her steady stride, I knew that I would be seeing her again. This is an excerpt from an exercise called Narrative Therapy that I wrote when I went to counseling in 2012. I started counseling because after becoming a mother, I recognized that I had an eating disorder and had for years, and I was desperate to overcome it so that I could have more peace and hope in my life and I could be a healthier, more stable mother. So as part of my counseling, my therapist asked me to write a story about my eating disorder where I separated the disorder from myself and turned it into a character. I was supposed to write about how we met, what our relationship had been like, and how I imagined my future without the eating disorder in it. The passage that I just read is what I wrote about how my eating disorder and I met. And I think that you can tell right away that this uninvited friendship is not going to be a good thing in my life. But what is perhaps the scariest part about that is that in reality, the person that I'm meeting in that narrative is me, myself, my own thoughts. It wasn't until I removed my thoughts, separated them from myself through this narrative therapy and created a separate character to embody my thoughts that I realized how truly abusive I had been to myself for over a decade. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. How to stop being mean to ourselves. I think it's something that a lot of women struggle with. When I started counseling, I thought that we would just talk about my eating. I had spent about 10 years um, using food as a way to cope with my emotions, either by extreme under-eating and over-exercising, or the opposite, um, with binge eating. But it had always been the same eating disorder, which is interesting and hard to understand. But it had always been that same disorder where I was trying to use food to cope with the different emotions and experiences that I was having in my life. So I went into counseling thinking, okay, we're going to talk about food. We're going to talk about how I can stop using it in this abusive way, and we're going to get this under control. I was surprised that the most impactful work that we did in counseling had very little to do with my eating. It had much more to do with my thinking. So today on this episode, I'm not really going to be talking specifically about eating disorders, 
I'm going to be talking more about negative self-talk. Um, I feel like what I learned in counseling can be widely applicable to women, no matter if they struggle with eating issues or not. My counselor explained that harmful behaviors such as an eating disorder, they don't just materialize out of nowhere. The behaviors don't just start randomly. The behaviors stem first from our thoughts and our feelings. So she described to me that it is a cycle. It's a three-part cycle. And I want you to picture that like a little circle, you know, going around in circles. It often starts with a negative thought about ourselves, which leads to a negative emotion about ourselves, which leads to a coping behavior to try to numb out that emotion, which leads to another negative thought about ourselves, which leads to another negative emotion, another coping behavior, and it just goes on and on and on around in this cycle. Um, So for example, to show you what I mean, you may have a thought about yourself, as I know that I sometimes do, that I'm a bad mom. And that leads me to feel guilt, shame, anger, disappointment in myself. And then, so I have the thought, I have an emotion about the thought, and then I need to cope with that feeling or emotion in some way. I don't want to feel it. I try to numb it out. I So I do that by, you know, there's various ways that we can try to cope with those things. We can eat, try to eat to cover it or to stuff it down or numb it. I might go looking for something sweet or delicious to eat in the cupboard. Maybe you get on your phone and start scrolling through Instagram to get your mind off of how you're feeling. For some women, it might be pouring themselves a glass of alcohol. It could also be the other extreme with eating where you feel so bad about yourself that you feel like you deserve to, you know, sort of abuse yourself through exercise and go and um, militantly exercise or deny yourself the food and the nourishment that you need. It can go to any extreme. And then you may feel bad about yourself again. So I go to the cupboard and eat the chocolate chips because I'm feeling I need comfort because I feel like a bad mom. And then I add to that, oh, on top of being a bad mom, you're a glutton. And so then that thought leads to an emotion, discouragement, disgust, which leads to another negative behavior and on and on and on it goes. And so my counselor helped me to see that in order to stop that negative behavior, the eating disorder behaviors that I was exhibiting, I had to stop that cycle somewhere. I had to interrupt the cycle and the primary place, the best place to stop it was right where it started with my thoughts, learning how to control and change and interrupt those negative thoughts about myself. So that is what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. And today it's just me. I'm just going to be sharing three takeaways or three of the best tools that I learned in counseling for how to stop the negative self-talk that we so often fall into. My first takeaway is to recognize and reject filtered thinking. So let me explain what that means. 
My counselor told me that there's two ways of seeing the world, through a filter or through the big picture. Filtered thinking is just like it sounds where you see everything through a lens or a filter um, that is very narrow. And so you'll see your life or yourself through a moment. So like an example of this is I may lay on my bed in the late afternoon when I'm tired and start scrolling Instagram. And yeah, maybe I'll spend a little more time on it than I should. And so half an hour passes or whatever it may be. And I think to myself, ugh, I am such a loser. I never get anything done. And that is absurd. <laughs> and yet, like, I I say this kind of stuff to myself because I'm filtering the truth through a moment in my day. So yeah, for the last 30 minutes, maybe I wasted time and I didn't get anything done. But the opposite of filtered thinking is big picture thinking. And that's what my counselor encouraged me to do. Zoom out, she would say. Zoom out from that little moment and look at the bigger picture. Look at the evidence that refutes the filter. So like for me, look at the rest of that day. I got both of my kids off to school. I got them to school on time, which for me is huge, by the way. I came home. I cleaned the whole kitchen. I recorded a podcast episode. I went grocery shopping. I, you know, I can list off a number of things that are actual evidence that refute what my filtered thought was. And my counselor really encouraged me to do that at first. When I was retraining my brain and getting into better thinking patterns, she would have me actually write down the filtered thought and then draw a line and write down evidence that refuted it um, that was more big picture. So filtered thinking versus big picture thinking. Notice it when you're doing it and reject it. And I, it's gotten so much easier for me in the five years since I initially went to counseling that it's become more natural for me to have a more big picture mindset. I don't find myself with so many automatic negative thoughts like I used to, but it does still happen. And I've noticed that at certain times of the month, I think hormonally, it's more inclined to happen to me. I also think that when I'm trying to do something new or hard or big, like start the podcast, or I have a new goal that I'm working hard on, um, those those negative thoughts sneak in more often because I'm doing something hard. And so I'll have those thoughts of, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. And I just have to stop them and refuse to believe them and zoom out and say, that is a filtered thought. I'm going to present some evidence to support a bigger picture thought. So takeaway number one, focus on big picture thinking instead of filtered thinking. Takeaway number two, Respond to yourself the way that you would respond to a friend, a sister, or a daughter who came to you with a negative thought about themselves. Think about that. If your friend said to you, I'm such a loser, I'm never going to be able to do this, I'm a bad mom, all those things, how would you respond to them? You should be responding to yourself with equal measures of grace and kindness and love and compassion and talking to yourself in the same way that you would talk to them. 
And conversely, think about that in the opposite way. Think about how completely heartbroken you would be to hear your daughter or your beloved sister talking about herself in the hateful, horrible way that we sometimes talk about ourselves. In order to illustrate the importance of this, I want to share the second part of my narrative therapy. Now, this is really heavy, you guys, and I don't mean to just bum everybody out. And believe me when I tell you that when I initially wrote this, I never thought I would share it with a soul. I mean, this was the bearing of my deepest, darkest thoughts and Oh, I mean, just, it was painful to write and I, and just, I never, ever thought that I would share it. So the fact that I'm able to share it today shows how far I've come and how much I really believe in these principles and in the power of counseling because I'm able to share this now because it's not me anymore. I don't think this way about myself anymore, and so it's safer for me to share it, if that makes sense. So I hope that that gives you hope if you are still trapped in these negative thought patterns about yourself to think it is possible to break free from these. I'm only going to share this to illustrate just how abusive we can actually be to ourselves. And think about, as you hear this, do you ever talk to yourself this way? And can you imagine if your best friend or your daughter was talking to themselves this way? Again, this is from my narrative therapy. And so I embodied my eating disorder outside of myself as a character in my life. And this is how she talked to me. This is just an excerpt. I didn't want to include it all because it's so focused on eating disorders. So this is just an excerpt. And if you have kids around who may be listening, I would put in earbuds because it's hard. I don't, kids don't need to know about this kind of pain that adults go through. So there's a little warning. But here is part two of my narrative therapy. Over the 10 years that I allowed this friendship to be part of my life, she manipulated me and told me all sorts of lies. She told me that I had to run every single day or else I was a failure. When I had mono and was emotionally exhausted from news of my mom's terminal cancer diagnosis, she told me that I had to go running with her at 11.30 p.m. when I got home from studying at the library. If I ever got more than four or five hours of sleep at night, she told me I was worthless and unproductive. A true friend would have told me to climb into bed and be gentle with myself during such a difficult time. The summer that my mom was so sick and I was her caregiver while my dad was at work, she met me every morning on the running path. In and of itself, a daily jog was not an unhealthy way to cope, but she pushed me to run farther and farther each day, telling me that my run was a waste of time if it wasn't at least five miles. She would tell me I was pathetic if I missed a day or didn't feel up to running as far as I had the day before. Five miles, six miles, seven miles a day, it wasn't enough. I often ran eight miles or more in the early hours of the morning and then went home and took care of my dying mother for the rest of the day. A few years later, when I started my career as a high school English teacher and got too busy to jog every day, she told me it wasn't worth running at all. What's the point, she would say. At this rate, you're going to get fat anyway, so why even try? 
When she said this, I felt utter panic, and she seemed to love getting that reaction out of me. She always told me it was all or nothing, and I believed her. When I was struggling to get pregnant and going through infertility treatments, she started hanging around even more. She would wait in the car after my appointments, and as I drove away from the clinic, my heart breaking and numb, she would say to me, you're never going to be a mother. You might as well give up. And if you can't have a baby, you at least deserve to have a treat. She encouraged me to stop at the grocery store and buy myself a mini pie or go home and scour the refrigerator for something to temporarily numb the pain. Chocolate frosting with graham crackers, ice cream, foods I didn't even really like or want, but that she assured me would make me feel better. Slowly, just as she knew it would, the weight crept on, and she told me I must be disgusting to my husband now. I bet he doesn't find you attractive at all anymore, she would say. This would sometimes make me cry when Ryan and I were together, because I was sure that she was right. When my miracle son finally arrived to us through adoption, things didn't go as smoothly as I'd imagined they would. My son had colic and cried most of the day, and I was filled with inadequacy, loneliness, and desperation. Instead of encouraging me that things would get better, she told me I was a terrible mother. She told me I hated being a mother. She told me the rest of my life was going to be miserable. Then she'd say the inevitable, Here, eat these brownies. After all, it's the only thing you have to look forward to, and you're never going to be skinny again anyway, so you might as well. I finally decided that I had to break off my friendship with her. I wasn't sure how to do it, so I recruited help. I prayed and pled for strength. I sought help from a professional counselor. My husband, my family, and a few trusted friends were at my side when I told her to get away from me. Get out of my life. I told her that I never wanted to speak to her or see her again. She didn't take the news well, and she was slow in leaving. There were times when she knocked on my door, and in a low moment, I let her in. We'd sit on the couch and talk, and she would start feeding me lies again, and sometimes I would listen, but it wasn't like before. I never really let her back into my heart. Now her visits are few and far between. Sometimes she still knocks. I look through the peephole and see her standing there. Sometimes she even tries to talk to me through the door. But I generally don't respond. I may hear her words and wonder if they're true, but I don't respond to her and I don't let her in. And I think she's starting to get the hint. She comes around less and less often these days. Looking back, it's hard to believe that I allowed myself to be abused and manipulated like this for so long. It makes me feel sick and a little embarrassed to think about the years that I wasted on her. But it also makes me proud to realize that I have almost broken free, and it makes me feel hopeful to realize that she has left a big space in my life that I can fill with relationships that actually nourish me, instead of leaving me empty, alone, and in pain. So through that heartbreaking narrative, I hope that you can see how important it is that we talk to ourselves with the compassion of a true friend and that we stop this negative, undermining, mean talk that we sometimes feed ourselves. So that's takeaway number two. The next time you have a mean thought about yourself that you would never say to a friend, sister, or do your daughter, rephrase it. 
or respond to it in a way maybe you have the thought, but formulate a response that is kind and compassionate and full of grace and perhaps even write it down. So if a friend came to you and said, I'm a bad mother or I'm never going to be able to do this or that, how would you respond and encourage her? Do the same thing for yourself and take a few minutes to write down those positive thoughts and encouragements. Okay, I feel like things are getting real heavy over here after that narrative therapy. <laughs> I hope everybody's still hanging in there. This is our last takeaway, takeaway number three, and it is to use coping statements. And this is one of my absolute favorite, most practical tools that I learned from counseling. Um, coping statements are short, memorable, pithy little phrases that sort of become your mantra or your go-to catchphrases that you can say to yourself when you're in a stressful situation or when you're starting to feel really agitated, angry with yourself, to just bring yourself back, to remind you to focus on the present instead of the past, to accept the situation for what it is, and to just be kind to yourself when you've made mistakes. Um, one of my favorite coping statements that I learned in counseling was, it is what it is. And that's sort of become a mantra for my life because I feel like it applies to so many circumstances. Sometimes circumstances that are out of my control, like my daughter doesn't take a good nap and she's unbearably grumpy and I'm tempted to be grumpy myself or to think, oh, what did I do wrong? I kept her out too late. I missed her window. Now the rest of the day is going to be a mess because of this. It's like, it is what it is. She didn't take a good nap. It's over. Um, or sometimes situations that are the result of my silly mistakes. Like if I forget to pay rent when we're on vacation and we get a late fee, it's like, it is what it is. Life is not perfect. I am not perfect. That's just the way it's always going to be. And I will face whatever consequences come. But being angry with myself, berating myself, like that does nothing productive comes from that. The only thing that comes from that is that the cycle starts over that we talked about in the beginning, where I have the negative thoughts about myself and the negative emotions, then the destructive behaviors and on and on and on. So if I can just use coping statements to forgive myself, to ground myself and move on, then I'm interrupting that cycle. Um, so for example, the, the example that I used earlier about wasting time on Instagram and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I am so unproductive. I just wasted so much time. You can spiral there or you can say, you know what? It is what it is. I spent half an hour an hour on Instagram. Oh, well, I guess I better hop up, work double time, getting stuff done and forgive myself and move on. Some of my other favorite coping statements are, um, what's done is done. I did the best that I could in that moment. And that one I love because it reminds me that our best varies from moment to moment. Another coping statement that I love that I learned from April Perry from Power of Moms is today is not forever. Sometimes I think as parents, we can get caught up in feeling really discouraged about our kids' hard phases that they're going through. They won't nap. They won't 
you know, I feel like sleep is so often one. They won't nap. They get up super early in the morning. They're going through a super hard whiny tantrum phase or a rebellious teenage phase. Just reminding yourself today is not forever. This phase is not going to last forever. And then she's also taught me to use that phrase as a reminder to savor the good things as well. Today is not forever. And so those cute, perfect things that my kids are doing when they're little, they're not going to last forever and I need to savor them. So that is a great coping statement. Anne of Green Gables has one that she says, tomorrow is fresh with no mistakes in it. Um, I wrote an article about this for Power of Moms and one of the commenters on that article said that one of her favorites is plot twist. She'll say to herself if something doesn't go as planned. So she kind of thinks of it as like a novel or a movie where something unexpected happens. And she says, you don't just give up on the character because something unexpected happened. It's just a plot twist. And so she'll say that to herself throughout the day, like, plot twist, something crazy is happening with my kids. Let's see where this goes and kind of think of it as like a humorous sitcom or movie. And I love that. Another friend recommended asking yourself, will this matter in 10 years? Which I think is fairly profound. Like so many of the things that really stress us out, we're tempted to be really mad at ourselves over, won't even matter in 10 years. So just bringing yourself back to that realization. And I also think it can be really powerful to use religious coping statements or mantras. If you're a religious person, one of my favorites is peace be still. And there's been times when I have struggled with um, anxiety, really bad anxiety. And this has been a helpful mantra for me to just lay on my bed and say, peace be still, peace be still. And just bring myself back and remind myself to trust God and rely on him. So I love this idea of having these go-to phrases that we can use in our life to just ground us, bring us back, remind us that most of the time these situations are not the end of the world and to interrupt those negative thoughts that threaten to spiral into this bad cycle. And I will put a list of coping statements on my website if you're interested in getting a list of those, and you can always come up with statements of your own that work for your situation. So I hope that that takeaway will be useful for you. So to recap the three takeaways from today's episode about how we can stop being mean to ourselves, takeaway number one is to reject filtered thinking and focus instead on big picture thinking. Takeaway number two, talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a friend, sister, or daughter. And takeaway number three, use coping statements to calm yourself down when you're in a stressful situation. Now to end this episode, I wanted to end it on a high note, on a hopeful note. And so I want to read you the last, the third installment in my narrative therapy. So remember, my counselor had asked me to write about how my eating disorder and I had met, what my relationship was like when she was part of my life, and then how I envisioned my life would be without her in it. So five years ago, I wrote this as the final 
portion of my narrative therapy. And do you know what's so amazing as I read back over this? How much of it has come true for me? I truly believe in the principles that I shared on today's podcast, and I believe in the power of counseling and working on our mental health. So I really would like to encourage you, if you feel like you could benefit from counseling, please go. And maybe if you're not quite to that point, or if financially you can't make it happen right now, these tools will help you to get started on a journey to better self-talk and to healing. So here is my future without my eating disorder in it. I am the mother of four beautiful children. It is a busy, chaotic life, but for the most part, I'm able to keep my cool and mother with love because I love myself. I'm close to my father in heaven. I feel his love for me and I know my worth. I'm able to take the stresses of life in stride instead of eating my way through them. When I do revert to emotional eating, which happens on occasion, I forgive myself and move forward. My eating disorder rarely comes knocking anymore. She knows there is no point. I teach my children to take care of their bodies, minds, and souls. We eat lots of delicious fruits and vegetables and, of course, some awesome treats, too. Food isn't the center of our family and universe, but we aren't afraid of it. We get outside and exercise together a lot as a family. We go for hikes and bike rides. We go for after-dinner walks around the neighborhood. A few nights a week, my husband and I put the kids to bed and have a teenage neighbor come over and sit with them so we can go walking or jogging under the stars together, just like we did when we were dating. We are active and strong. I take the breaks that I need from mothering my big family, and I don't feel guilty about it. I have a babysitter twice a week for a few hours so I can go to a local coffee shop and write. I also take an evening every week to myself, meeting up with a friend for dessert, going to a bookstore to read, or just taking a walk by myself at sunset to think and pray. Because I want to be present and relaxed for my family and friends, I say no to extracurricular activities and responsibilities that will leave me feeling overwhelmed and drained. I am someone who people can call on a whim. I am available to talk and to help. I am not stressed and overly busy all the time. I am happy. I am fulfilled. I am able to see the value and meaning in my life. I no longer feel stress or self-loathing on a daily basis. I get enough sleep. I take care of myself. I feel my emotions instead of fleeing from them through starvation, exercise, or excess. I love and savor life with all of its ups and downs. I love and nourish myself with all of my weaknesses and imperfections. I'm grateful. I'm at peace. I am free. Thank you so much for listening today and giving me a place to share my heart like that. This is a vulnerable episode for sure, but I just pray that it's helpful to some of you out there. If you're interested in hearing more about my experience with counseling, I've recorded several other episodes of 3 and 30 about my experience. Episode 74, which is called A True Story of Answered Prayers, three essays I wrote in therapy. And that one really does focus in more on therapy around body image and eating disorders. And episode 97, How to Let Go of Hard Stuff from Your Past where I talk about how a counselor helped me process the long terminal illness of my mother. Um, She was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was six, and she passed away when I was 19. And so I go into specific strategies that my counselor used to help me process that time when I went to counseling much later as an adult. 
I'll link both of those episodes in the show notes, which you can see in your podcast app or on my website. And if this episode tugged at your heart and got you thinking that maybe you could benefit from the support and tools that a counselor can offer, I encourage you to give BetterHelp Online Counseling a try this month. Don't overthink it. Don't let yourself get embarrassed about it or second guess whether your struggle is big enough to, quote, deserve support. Just do it while you're feeling brave and inspired. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash three and 30 and get started on that questionnaire. I love you. I'm rooting for you. And although we're certainly in the midst of the biggest plot twist of the decade, I know we can get through this and I hope you will be extra kind to yourself as you spend this week with your family.